Alex, what color is your hair? Still brown. <laughs> still brown. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to do it at Linux Fest if I remember. Problem is that the uh, the, the hair dye already got taken from me, so I already had forgotten until you said something. Got taken from you. Every time I'd sit down at the studio, I'd set my arms down, and all of a sudden, like everything was turning red. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is no good." I think if Chris does it, he needs to uh, he needs to go all the way and do the orchid. Uh, oh God! I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe. I also feel like if he's going to do it, he needs to bleach his hair. Oh yeah, Chris, are you going to bleach your hair? No, he says so. He it's says gonna look no. like junk then. Yeah, it's gonna look bad? No, really it's bad. Not, it's gonna look no good. Really? Why? Because you should do orchard. What? You should do orchard. Why? Why do orchid. I have to bleach orchid. my hair? That's that sounds like a bad time. Well, because how it, are you gonna it, put a lighter color on a darker color? Is yeah. it lighter? Both of them are. I would think so. Pretty dark hair, bro. It, it's it's not gonna show up at all, really. You know what they say about guys with dark hair, right? I feel like uh, we could have not said this on air, and then that could have been my out. Now you guys are just totally... No, no. You have, they because, have to... the, the, the mistake you made is we want you to do this. I know. Yeah. Well, damn it. See, what I think you should do is I think you should make your hair red and your beard organ. <laughs> it's not actually a terrible <laughs> idea. Oh, my gosh, dude. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 195 for May 2nd, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's ripped out all of the proprietary software, replaced it with good old Linux. My name is Chris. Get it out of here. Wait, no. <laughs> my name is Wes. We're, yeah. We're going to keep it here now. Yeah, we got all the proprietary software out here. We'll tell you a little bit about that later, but that's not what we're gathered here to talk about today. Oh, no. We do have a great show, though. Oh, that was really totally... Look at that you. Was, that, was, that was great, though. I really enjoyed that. Some new projects. Some of the... Pretty excited about because Wes has gotten his hands on him directly, and he's like, "Hey, I've been trying this. We got to talk about it." I always love those segments on the show. Then a big, big, big change has come to all of those encumbered audio files on your hard drive. We'll tell you about that. And then Windows 10 S has been officially announced, and it's got Chromebooks and desktop Linux in the education market squarely in its crosshairs. Uh oh! Boom! Squarely, like just right in there, Wes. Watch out for that. And then. Coming up in just a few short days, the final episode of the Linux Action Show, Linux Fest Northwest, live Linux Unplugged, perhaps on locate. We'll tell you all about all of that. Wow! And some of the uh, efforts we've been going into here to uh, get all of the Linux, get all of the Linux, and maybe if we have time, we'd like to have a very honest and frank conversation about the state of Linux battery life, some tools, some tips, some tricks from us and the virtual lug. To manage battery life, to get better battery life, Wes has a has a story you could perhaps share with the class from a coworker who recently tried Ubuntu seventeen oh four, and uh, we'll just kind of hopefully walk away with some tips to have better battery life on our laptops because it seems like it's on a downward trend these days under Linux. When Mac and Windows perhaps are at their best, the new Microsoft Surface laptop announced today they claim fourteen hours of battery life. So we'll see. Maybe can we get Linux close? Can we get close, Wes? That's the question. 
I certainly hope so. Yes, yes. So, before we can do any of it, we've got to bring in our virtual oh, lug. boy. Time-appropriate greetings, Bumble Room. Hello, hello. Greetings, Hello. hello. <laughs> greetings. So, guys, um, there is there is a couple of open-source projects that I thought we'd start with this week that are just really cool to check out and really cool to see come, you know, come to fruition. And the first one is one that the Mac users have had for a while that I, I really thought would be great on Linux, and now it's here. It's called Open Snitch. It's a open source port of the little snitch application that's pretty famous on Mac. And it's an application firewall. But what it does is it gives you graphical alerts about the applications on your system that are trying to take or trying to make an outbound connection. And then the first time it happens, you can take immediate action. You can whitelist that application. You can block it, allow deny. It's a cool it's a cool way to see what's talking to what. And sometimes you're surprised what's talking to what. Yeah, exactly. You ever seen it? Yeah, you know, I've used it on, or I've seen people use it, institutions that used it on, on Mac OS. And it, I guess to me, like, it's that, like, last mile kind of thing that we often associate with the Mac or some of the programs for it, where it's like, yeah, right, I could do all of that with IP tables or, you know, other means, command line applications. But, but probably you don't. I mean, if you do, great. And there's a lot of cool guides out there to do that. But for, like, you know, the people who've just installed Linux or they're casual users, or they just want like a you know they don't do it all the time. They want a cleaner, simpler interface they can remember. I think this is, this looks like it could be nice. Yeah, the other thing that's cool about it that I've used a couple of times when I had client Macs is I was installing a new piece of software and I wanted to figure out what I had to punch open in the corporate firewall, right. or I just wanted to know what's going on in the system. You fire up in this case now OpenSnitch. You run it for a couple of hours and you just get a list of everything that's trying to talk to everything. And you discover that this application that runs in the background actually pings this HTTP server every hour, which you didn't know before. Yeah, totally. It's, it is nice. Just a little and, bit of visibility. Yeah. Now, there's been some people that said, oh, you know, running this kind of stuff through Python probably isn't a great idea and it probably doesn't have the best performance. So you wouldn't necessarily want to put it on a server that's handling tens of thousands of requests. Right. But <laughs> if it's on your, you know, like little, your laptop or your, your parents' computer or something, it might be, might be worth a try. They do caution that it's alpha quality software. We don't know how, how good it is right now. I've only played with it just a little bit, uh, but something to watch. Yeah, it's officially being entered into our cool open source projects that we're going to keep track of category that we like to have on this show. Um, and now in the category of cool projects, and I think you've had a chance to play with this maybe a little bit too, uh, Deb Simple. Get it? It's like Dead Simple, but it's so Deb, simple. Deb Simple. And uh, I don't really understand because it's like a repository server for app. So it's like your own local repository server. But does it does it not have packages? Is it is that right? Like it says on here that there's... Uh, something about does not require packages or something. I read this out. What the hell is this, Wes? What is it? What kind it of? It is a little confusingly described. So I was in a position where I just I had some some programs that I needed to modify, then build. Um, I was packaging them up as dev files. I really, I mean, I could just download them and install them, but it would be nice to have a little repo. Mm. And ideally, I'd like this to be minimal effort. It was just for some internal processes, right? Nothing customer facing. And it was a little more work to get set up. I mean, like you know. An, an apt or a Debian arc repo. It's not that complicated. It's mostly just an HTTP server around some special files with metadata that index the packages and that and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so there's like some some app programs out there that'll build that for you, access it. But it was a kind of manual. I found a Docker container that was like, all right, well you run it this way, you SCP the thing, and then I was just gonna say it. like there must be a Docker. Container. So there totally are, and that that would have been okay. But that was like really if you were get, making like you had your dot changes file and you were doing it like you were building like a source package, you know. And I was really just I just wanted that one artifact, and so this is a little go implementation that provides a HTTP API. So it just makes it super simple. If I have a new package, you know, it comes out of my build server, Jenkins or something, you just post it over, uh, HTTP post, that'll add it to the archive, and then bam, 
Oh. That package is, is up there. It supports multiple versions for packages, multiple architectures. Um, and it has uh, it has uh, API keys, so you can kind of control things as well. So be like, well, th- this user can up- only this user can update new packages, but other people can get them, or more granular than that. I realized the limitation that I was talking about earlier was that uh, it, it doesn't have the ability to mirror existing repos. Right. So this isn't like a full apt proxy type setup. Um, which I've used before, but really isn't what I needed. I just wanted my own little simple local mirror for yeah, a West repo. Result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is really so nice. It was really handy, and and because it's Go, it was like Go get GitHub dot blah blah blah, and then it was installed and running. So <laughs> yeah. it was super easy. Yeah. So there's a project that uh, I'm watching, and um, maybe if anybody in the virtual lug there has a, a suggestion for something else, feel free to jump in. Uh, but I'm <clears throat> watching this project called uh, Hardened Linux. And it's at hardenedlinux.gnu, or I'm sorry, (laughs) old habit, hardenedlinux.github.io. And uh, they say they're a group of free software enthusiasts, anarchists, and cybersecurity researchers. Long live anarchy, the site reads, and long live old school, spelt with O's. I think they're being a little Uh tongue-in-cheek there. Um, they, it's a small step in security hardening and a giant leap in free and open source software. It's a, uh, it's an interesting idea. It's a core infrastructure. So you're familiar with like obviously all the different projects out there to secure your system. Well, so what if you brought them all into one spot? What if you just brought them all together and tried to make a distro based around that? It's kind of, I think what they're going for here. Um, they're, they're also big on, uh, on, uh, on a bunch of different, uh, open source security projects like PAX and GR security and whatnot. So I'll, Interesting new initiative. I've always been fascinated with the whole um, like really super ultra secure Linux stuff. I've, right. I've, I've played in the super past. Super locked down. I've played in the past. Like there's a, I can't remember if it was like called Bastille. I can't remember there was a piece of software you spelled to load on Linux that would go through and, and try to harden it to meet all these requirements. And so they, I think they're, they're basing it around like a Debian, a Debian base. I don't know, just something I came across this week that I'll be digging into more. I might have a review down the line once I get a chance to check it out and, uh, and try it out. Or, or learn more about it at least. I was just uh, just sort of digging around when I came across it this week and thought, let's share this with the class. It started though in 2014, so it's not like it's brand oh, new. Interesting. Yeah. The group the group's been together for a while. I don't know. I don't know if they're shipping out code or I don't know really what they've got at this point. But something to dig into. Hardened Linux. And one of the things too that uh, I used to struggle with was I used to have to be able to show regulators that I was taking steps to. Right, meet certain requirements. Compliance and and so if there's certain things that like you, if you can come across and this is a question to the audience if if you know of one where you can come across like checklist for how to make uh, how do you make Ubuntu Linux meet these regulatory mm. requirements? How do you make CentOS meet these regulatory requirements? Um, or are there distros out there, or is something like Hardened Linux maybe a project that get us there where it's like you you can start with a Debian base and we've applied all of these security packages or all of these standards. I don't really know quite what's out there these days because I haven't looked for a while, but I've had a few questions come into the show, so I thought, well, I'll open up to the audience. So I, this is one thing that I've come across in my research, but I'm curious if anybody else has anything. I think it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is even really a project that has much legs anymore. I'm not quite sure, but it's, uh, there's got to be something out there to meet this particular requirement because I've gotten notes from people that say, well, we can't really use Linux because there's no way to prove that we're following this particular standard or... For for you know whatever the reason is whatever the industry is it changes yeah exactly and would you so let me ask you this say you were going to deploy a server uh, for a company is there have you ever do you ever have you ever worked in a company where they where they say when we deploy a server you must always configure these things and set these settings and turn off these services and install these packages and turn off root login on this service like do you do you have you ever worked in a company where there's like a checklist of yes. ser- oh yeah okay and that's just an internal process that they've developed. Uh, yeah, in, in a lot of cases, that that has been the case. And then, like, 
these days, I see a lot of it done with configuration management mm-hmm. systems or others. Like you can run, you can have roles or recipes that. What will... defines what what needs to be changed? Like, how do you know what to secure? How do you know like what services should be configured what way? Like, other than just personal experience and like uh, you know just learning over the years, like. How do you know you're actually doing it right? See, that's where, like, when you have an issue mm-hmm. like hardened mm-hmm. Linux or something like that has like a group of people that are experts in the area that can go through and really come up with a common standard of how you secure a system, how you make it auditable. Uh, that that's something that's a little easier to get more, I think, larger buy off. Like, otherwise, right. it seems like to me, companies come up with their own. Well, we're going to configure these things to meet our standards, and it's sort of their own internal tribal knowledge that defines what all those things should be. Yeah, I mean, I think there's like, you know, there's some best practice guides and there's some guidance from like the actual requirement documentations or like, you know, when you get compliance tested or that sort of thing. Yeah, that's usually where Uh, some of that will come from. Yeah, right. But if you're not an industry that has compliance testing, but you still want to secure your systems. Yeah, in that case, then something like this, I think would be, even if you don't use it, it might be a very handy reference. Like you might also go look at some of those like cookbooks or other things that see what settings they, what changes they're going to make. Yeah, Yeah. But you're right that it's not always, and then I think there's, even goes above and beyond where a lot of times like you know the com- the compliance things will be concerned about effect, you know like goals and end goals and real world things and then that doesn't always necessarily a one to one mapping back into how you should configure your system or which way you should configure yeah it. yeah that's, that's the tricky part <laughs> monkey com you had something you wanted to add well yeah i mean every time you do a an audit inside of a banking comp- a company that does any kind of financial transactions or has any any international transactions with banks, they always do those audits where they bring an audit, a company in to audit your entire network and they want you to explain how you're securing these things. How right, you're doing exactly. That. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And, and they don't, you know, you know, it all comes down to having good au- auditing and good practices inside because even if you're, I mean, we were running Puppet, but then somebody goes and installs a bunch of applications on a Linux box because they want to be able to debug something and they leave them running. And so the scan tool <laughs> goes out and you find all these open ports on a server for something you didn't even know was running on it. And I mean, those are the, I think it all comes down to, you know, controlling access to servers. And I, I, I if that's what they're doing with a hardened install, I just don't see that working because... Most people don't want to use a custom install for for anything. It's got to be something that uses like CentOS or Debian or Ubuntu. It can't be like its own custom rolled distro because you need a lot of industry support. You need folks that can walk in off the street that you've hired that have some built-in knowledge. And you need something that in some industries the auditors can recognize. Like one of the things that happened to us is a couple of times we got pushed away from Linux just simply because it was Gentoo. And they didn't know what Gentoo was. Oh, they knew what Red Hat was. This is years ago, years right. ago. And, I, and yes, I had Gentoo in production. Yes, I understand. But I had a Gentoo system in production. I had many of them. And they actually dinged us for it as having um, like this – they didn't call it fragmentation at the time. But they dinged us for fragment, a fragmented network because we had, we had Windows boxes. We mm-hmm. had SUSE Enterprise boxes, which they understood what that was. We had NetWare and we had Gentoo. And it was a lot of systems because we were in the middle of a transition from NetWare and Windows – and oh. and and so they they come in and they're like well these Gentoo things are some weird thing that somebody's down some one of your rogue IT people has just installed across your system and they should be replaced with Windows 2000 using Active Directory and because that was actually a finding that the auditors recommended the way that what happens is if by the next time the auditors come around you don't have it that's a big deal and then if the second time they come around you don't have it you lose your FDIC insurance. And then the bank goes out of business. And so we ended up deploying Active Directory simply as a response to that. Wow. So it's, yeah, it was, Yikes, it's really been codified in my memory that sometimes you really got to get that stuff dialed in. Totally. Well, you know, there's another way to learn more Linux Academy. 
You go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You support the show. That's Look a great at that. idea. I know, right? Learn more. It, it could be like this the little command line tools that you need to learn more or it's the big stuff. You know, like the big stuff, like the container stuff we're talking about, AWS, Azure, all of that stuff. You can learn more at Linux Academy. You go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and you sign up. You support the show and you can get a seven-day free trial. I like this graphic they have. Look at this, Wes. Doesn't that really tell you the state of Linux in, in the world today? you got Linux at the core and then off at the different brands. You've got AWS, Azure, OpenStack, Big Data, Containers, DevOps, the whole category of DevOps. And it really is, at the center of it all, Linux and open source technology. Totally. And Linux Academy has the entire platter covered. You want to go in and get an education buffet? Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugs. You sign up. You support the show. You get to learn more. A community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. Instructors that actually know the material that can help you. They have systems in place for team training if you want to get your whole team trained up. And you can do it all for seven days. Is absolutely free. Just go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. I like the flashcards because they're yeah. forked by the community. I like that they spin up servers when you need them and That's you can great. use SSH to log in. The courseware and the servers all match. It's so great. It's so great. Um, our buddy Michael Dominic yeah. just started taking some Linux Academy courses nice. too. Nice. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it is so great for continuing education, for challenging yourself, for staying up to date on stuff. It's just and it's just so easy, right? Like it's it's modern. It's kept up to date by Linux experts, people experts in all of the fields that they support, and so it, you just know that you're getting like yeah. fresh information yeah. that you can count on. It yeah. makes it super easy. You can you can you can tell the passions there exactly. Yeah. You can join LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged, and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Now, uh, Mr. Noah joins us to talk about our next story. Finally, Noah, after all these ages, we have a brand new version of Grub. You ready for this? I'm ready. It's Grub 2.02. It's going to support experimental 64-bit extended to support. It's going to support LVM UUIDs. It's going to have proper handling of LVM in general, which I know you're probably excited about. Absolutely. Here's the thing I'm excited about, ZFS support. Okay. Z- yeah. And it, XFS version 5 support for the version 5 format of XFS. Like, talk about checking a couple nice. of my boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. As well as support for LVM RAID 1. So now, does it support defaulting to the uh, LTS kernel? So, <laughs> okay. So, little, little, little revealing here, little behind the scenes reveal here. We are, uh, we're doing a lot of work here in the studio, as we've mentioned. And uh, where's that mouse? Hand, hand me that mouse here. I'll give them the, for people watching the video version, I'll give you a little behind the scenes shot of what we've been doing Ooh. here. Yeah, we got a new Skycam, Wes. And uh, so, a bunch of new equipment in here and uh, all Linux based, all of it, even, even this big honkin mixer. This right here. That's Linux. What? Yeah, this mixer runs wow. Linux. I know. Chris we got left for a night and I ripped out all his Macs. <laughs> That's amazing. Is there, is there a single sad. Macintosh in here? There's not. No, there is not. It's really something. In, in a decade, it's taken us, you know, but the quality's there. Like, everything is like, it's a no-compromise setup. In fact, it's better than the old setup. And um, That's great. Yeah. And here's what, here's what is, is awfully funny about it is all of it comes crashing down if you accidentally boot the OBS machine with the stock Arch kernel and not the LTS kernel. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It all stops working. Everything yeah. relies on that LTS wow. kernel. And it's, yeah, it's funny because yeah. like we had one thing. It was like, oh, okay, well, this capture card requires a module and that has to be on the LTS kernel. Then, oh, well, actually – and I think actually to begin with we had even one more because we had ZFS and that needed the LTS kernel. So it was like there's all these things that had to have the LTS kernel and then you – yeah, we just – we didn't even think about it. We just restarted the box and like all of a sudden nothing's working. None of the uh, captures working. None of the audio stuff's working. We just like, set it up. Yeah. When we'd restarted it before. That's so we were crazy. like, 
How does that happen? Yeah, it is super funny, right? And we sit here and we're scratching our heads. We're like, everything was working and we're, we're about to start with Coder Radio. It's, right. Today is a busy day. We've got Coder Radio, Linux Unplugged, and TechSnap all back to back. And so there's not a lot of time for things to break. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And we guy sitting over there in the chair, he goes, hey, uh, did you uh, did you remember to uh, LTS kernel? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, damn it. We had to take the stream down. Choose the LTS kernel. So you removed that option now, right? Well, we haven't, no. we haven't had time yet. No. But no, that, we've that, been that, recording but, shows. Right. But, but that's, that's the time to grub, right? <laughs> yeah, so, like, totally. so maybe there's some yeah. new cool features that light. So, so back to grub. That also, nice. uh, you're going to have some network support in there uh, as well as improve. Really? At the boot level? And so, improve support for core boot, too. Really? Yeah, it's a serious release. So ungrub, like, what do you mean by network support? I don't know. I'm reading this. I haven't. I haven't read past that. I just read that. I, I just read down the line. I hadn't read that far ahead. Do you know <laughs> was, how cool it would? I be? I was so excited about the LVM and ZFS. <laughs> you know how cool it would be if I could get to a point where I could just be like boot off network. Boot, oh man! Inside of the grub boot menu. Yeah, that's something to get into, right? That is really something to get into. It's. However, by the way, if you're ever using Arch in production, highly recommend the LTS kernel. It's a good way to go. It's good. It's a good combo of mm-hmm. of rolling user land software, which is what we needed. Yeah, and nice level stability. That's right. That's right. Hey guys, do you mind if we do a little gaming update just real quick here on the show? There it is. That I was going to say. You got to have that. Yeah, got to have that. Uh, th- this is something that it's a little bit of a a little bit of hoops you got to jump through to get to this. So I'm going to warn you right now. You got to buy the Windows version. Yeah, and then you got to sign up for the beta. But when you do, under Linux, you will get access to what looks to me like a very, very well done mech game. You like mech games, you know, where you're walking around and like in a huge like mech suit. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, guys? This is Dark Horizons Mechanized Corpse. And gaming on Linux has is, is got good things to say about it. It's with really good, like the way the mech moves, it feels really good. Like re- they've really nailed the feeling of walking around in a giant mech suit. Now, it's it's not yet out for Linux officially. Right. The developer is actively developing this software, and he's just kind of on the side started making a Linux version. Now, this is why I mentioned it, because I think this is the time to show some love. Just say, hey, yeah, there's an inter- there's an audience here that's interested in this. So if you want to check it out, you first have to get the Dark Horizons Mechanized Corpse under Windows or just buy it through the, the Steam web app. Sign up for the beta or enable beta mode, and then you mm-hmm. can go into your library and pull it down under okay, Linux. Cool. Kind of excited. So what happens if you just buy it on, like, the web store? Yeah, that's what you do. Oh, okay. That's, that so you don't have the, to buy it under Windows. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's just yeah. that the only version on mm-hmm, the store mm-hmm, is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's Windows. what I would gotcha. do is I would buy it on the web. I would do it on the website for sure. And then you don't even have to go close to that Windows stuff. Yeah, exactly. Noah and I did uh, try while we're in the Valve section. Noah and I did try to set up a Steam VR this week. Oh, mm-hmm. really? And so it's it's hit and miss. So there's really two... There's there's a two-pronged approach to get Steam VR working under Linux. Either Arch... Or the second prong is Ubuntu. Mm. And in Arch, it's because all the stuff you – well, here, let me back up a little bit. You need to be at least on kernel 4.10. And you need to have, uh, as of this recording, NVIDIA driver version 375.x. And it needs to be the Vulkan beta edition of that driver. Oh. This is where it gets tricky because both Arch and Ubuntu have NVIDIA driver 375 as a package name. But it doesn't have the the beta Vulkan stuff, uh, and it's in the regular repo. So if you just try to install it, that's what you get. So under Ubuntu, you have to go get the Vulkan driver version PPA. Then you have to go into your PPA priorities, and you have to pin it above the main repo one and, right. and fight that fight. Or under Arch, you have to you have to play dependency hell where there's all these different conflicting dependencies. Um, and then once you even get all of that set up, it's basically like hardly anything works. 
So it was a little disappointing. It was a little, so it's still a work in progress. So we haven't really had a chance to really right. try it out fully because it's sort of yeah, that is too bad. Yeah, but we continue. But we now c- it's like halfway set up for when you know there's more interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to keep working on it because I, I would like to actually do like a little report on the show mm-hmm. and and say this is how the state of VR under Linux. Also, I like I just you know. I just want to get I just want to get Wimpy's head in a VR headset and have oh, him see how cool yeah. it is. He's such a VR hater, you know. <laughs> and he's going to be out here for Linux Fest Northwest. Rumor has it, so it'd be the perfect opportunity to put his head in a VR headset and get his opinion. And because I feel like maybe he hasn't really experienced a good VR, right? Because I was a big. See, here's why I say this: I was like VR smear. Come on, wake me up when we have holodecks, please. And then I got the Oculus, and I was like, mind blow. Yeah, I had a moment. <laughs> yeah. I had a moment. Yep. And then ever since then, I was all, I was all in. I thought it was pretty cool. So maybe we'll get a chance to get it working. If anybody out there has any experience, please pass it along. Let us know what you dig. Go to the contact. You know what page. we could do? We could. Yeah, I tell you what. Here, Alta Speed Technologies to the rescue. If there's anyone out there that thinks they could set it up, just get in contact with me, and I'll get you remoted into that machine. There you go. On a fresh, nice, fresh 1604 install, uh-huh. and you just set it up for us. Well, and I'll be your yeah, remote right. hands. Like I'll plug the stuff <laughs> in for you. Yeah, totally. You know, whatever. There's got to be somebody out Keep there. Keep on dreaming, dude. Yeah. Keep maybe, on dreaming. Maybe though, right? Maybe, maybe. All right. All right, that concludes our gaming section. There we go. Wrap it go. up. Yeah, I got to wrap up. So anyways, you can find that Met game link up in the show notes. This could be good news for all of you who are struggling with our AUG feeds that are under repair right now. Uh, the MP3 technology, the licensing program around certain MP3-related patents and software has been terminated. Mm, isn't it one of them of like the four? This would be, I think, the remaining. And the reason why I say this, this is on the Fraunhar website, like the actual like patent holders uh-huh. of MP3 have a post on their website basically saying have at it. Really? Huh. Okay. Yeah, well, they, I, I, they say, yeah. we thank all of our licensees for their great support for making MP3 the de facto audio codec in the world during the past two decades. The development, and they go into the development of MP3. Uh, but yeah, they say, they say that essentially MP3 is still very popular. However, most state-of-the-art media services such as streaming or TV and radio broadcasting use modern ISO MPEG codecs such as AAC or MPEG-H. And they That's deliver, where we're making our money. Yeah, and they make higher quality at much lower bit rates. And then they link you to the successful history of MP3. Like, they're done with it. Here's the history if you want to read about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they say the, 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 the Technicolor MP3 licensing program for certain MP3-related patents and software for Technicolor and Fraunhauer IIS has been terminated. I was thinking. So it doesn't mean it's. It, now I think this means it's free as in speech and it's free as in beer, but it's not like free like as in GPL code. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's. Yeah. It's definitely probably not GPL code. But I was under the impression that we still had some limitations on MP3 due to some existing patents. I could be wrong. Well, it's definitely not like just free code, but I think it means it's legit to. Um, I think it means it's safe now to redistribute it, like straight up one hundred percent. Yeah, I believe so as yeah. well. Okay, that's a well, big deal. Well, today I learned. Um, Monkeycom, you wanted to do a follow up on a discussion that Noah and Ryan had a few weeks ago. It looks like. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I just uh, installed the uh, pop theme. Oh, yeah, the, the System, uh, 76. System 76 GTK theme. What do you think of Ooh. pop? Oh, it's freaking awesome. I mean, I know they're just starting out with it, but if this is what the next few years is going to handle for that, I mean, it's they're doing it, they're doing it right. They're going to get their users exactly what they need to have to make GNOME a wonderful experience in Ubuntu. Now, what are they? Now, did you also replicate the bar at the bottom, like the OMG Ubuntu screenshot has? No, no, I, I did mine on the side. Um, you, you can play around with it, but just the theme itself, it, it, I mean, it's GNOME, so you can do whatever you want with it. But the theme itself is just really clean. All the, the icons pop, everything looks good when you bring up Windows. It, it just, it, they're making, they're laying the groundwork 
so that when their users have it, they can use the System76 theme and it just – everything looks the way it's supposed to. There's no hidden weirdness and they're going to back it. That's the greatest thing about it. Yeah, yeah. It is very bright in some areas. Like the like they have uh, the GNOME tweak uh, tool up and the, like the remove buttons and the orange checkboxes. I feel like they're hitting me in the face a little bit. But I I also I like the I like the shade of color they've chosen there. So it's I don't know. There's some as, tweaking as a there. theme. I think it's a great theme. Here's my question: You start out on that, and then you go to a a, a generic install. You know, the nice thing about System76 in the past has been, you know, if I start, if I bought a System76 machine, there might be a couple little tweaks, like they turned off, like, you know, the, the auto logging privacy stuff. They'd shut a couple of those things off. Right. But it, it, the, the system wasn't, didn't look drastically different. If I sat down at an Ubuntu machine, I knew I was sitting at an Ubuntu machine. And I feel like depending on how far they take this, especially if it starts getting into the point where they start, they put in a dock or something like that. You know, does that does that then change that? Essentially, I guess what I'm asking is, have they just have they just forked the the, the time when we all just finally got settled uh-huh. on a given desktop? Right. And and when you say fork, you mean like the user experience in a sense, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think we're talking apples and oranges there because Conical supported Unity, and I know GNOME has its own support structure, but there's not a commercial company behind GNOME saying, you know, do we need this it? is what we're going to do. Well. I think System76 does as a vendor. I, I don't think you just say, here's my desktop, whatever they do, flies, and I'll be okay yeah, with whatever yeah. they choose next year. Yeah, but I think yeah. just, they have to make so I'm, I'm, of, I'm of two minds of this because my first thought is, well, where do you draw the line? Because I've, I've, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've, had a, I've had a big revelation recently about GNOME extensions that I, I'd like to share with the class here in a second. But before I, so before I, before I defend them, I'll, I'll raise you my concern. Mm-hmm. And my concern would be is what we end up with is essentially the bastardization that's happened to Android, mm-hmm. where you've got Samsung skin, you've got LG skin, you've got a Moto skin, and some vendors have a light skin. Some vendors have an uh, entirely different UI with their own applications on top, right. and it's a real shit show. And what everybody pines for is just a good, clean, regular Android experience, and that's why Wes has a pixel right there, mm-hmm. right? That's where that's, – that's the market spoken. So we don't want your customizations. We don't want your cu- – we know you think you can add value, but the problem is you can't keep up with the pace of rapid development. Right. Now, GNOME is not Android. GNOME is not developed or modified nearly at the rate that Android is. And I, GNOME is a, proje- a product and project of limited means and limited resources. And so it's within that context that I look at what System76 is doing. Not at the – so not, not comparing what they've done to like what Android has done or what other desktops like – because you, know, you could also say the same thing about – we all know there's some Windows OEMs out there that have just crapped up Windows with their own right. start menus. Lenovo. And, and their, own, their own updaters and they just – junked up windows and nobody mm-hmm. wants that either so there's mm-hmm. definitely a risk of that the thing about gnome though is while it's a great desktop and mm-hmm. i just recently switched back to it really enjoying it stays out of your way very mm-hmm. efficient but it's not enough mm-hmm. it just the thing is you have to have extensions with gnome mm-hmm. because the team just doesn't have the time or resource to add everything that everybody wants in an entire world full of geeks and adding to that what everyone wants is different with every person and you yeah. know you look at the last few releases of gnome solid incremental improvement but no moving of the gas pedal nothing that's freaking people out no big changes and so there's there's really no massive progress that system 76 is going to fall behind by shipping their own theme the risk mm-hmm. of divergent user experiences is there Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I think we just have to wait and see how that plays out but I think because because of what the reality of GNOME is 
there is room for a vendor to improve on it, but they just can't go too far. Mm -hmm. And so System 76 like has to walk like this. They are not only going to kind of create the line they have to walk, but then they have to walk it like super tight. And then we're all going to have the advantage of sitting back and go, well, they did a good job or they didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 so I share your reservations, but I almost it feel like there's really, no path forward. Yeah, well, the path forward, an, an alternative path forward might be we say we go to the gnome team. We say here are the things that we think that would really improve this experience. What do you think about it? And then you know, collectively, everyone that's that's using gnome, everyone that that makes those decisions, looks at it and says, yeah, we agree that would be a, you know a way forward. And then. And then now we've improved it not just for System76 customers, but for everyone that's using Node. I feel like it took them forever just to get Wadi updated. Like Maybe it was, right. yeah. And, and, and I'm like, why do you guys care so much about the rounded corners of your menu, but you don't care that your default theme looks like garbage? Like, how does yeah. that work? Mm-hmm. And I think their stance, you know, what I, after I thought about it, their stance is, well, the themes can be changed, and that's why we build it this mm-hmm. way. And so sure. they're I, like building the core of what you need yeah. with the expectation. Part of me, I got to be honest, guys. I really hope that Ubuntu does not ship stock GNOME in some ways because it's not that great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really not that. Like, there's it not, needs a spit shine right on top. A little <laughs> bit, yeah. Like it needs a couple of things fixed up. It, it, you know, it wouldn't kill you to set a, a decent default background. It wouldn't kill you, know, you to turn on one or two extensions. Really, yeah, yeah. you know, really, you, whatever, whatever you got done just in about five minutes of, of goofing around with GNOME, the thing is what you got to pretty quickly, and you said it best, you just said, it's pro. You go from what looks like a hack on Linux, what everyone thinks of as like a Linux graphical desktop, and you turn it into a professional broadcast machine just by tweaking a couple of a little like mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. Like the dark menus and the dark windows and the and the smaller window borders and stuff like that. It just makes for a much more pleasing desktop. Yeah, if they if they just even I agree. Like if they ch- if gnome if gnome adopted a, a default theme of like Arc or even Numix or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like we'd have a totally different conversation. Then I'd be like, uh, now I feel like System76 is just trying to differentiate and, you know, make themselves, you know, brand their desktop. Right. But right now as it stands, I feel like they don't really have a choice. I mean, they almost have to in some ways. interesting to see what it would take to get them to change things like the default theme. Mm -hmm. That's not very good. I don't know why it took them so long to begin with. Yeah. So we're going to have a conversation about uh, laptops here in a little bit. Um, In fact, we had a question that came into the show uh, about the uh, setup you did on the MacBook 2013. Oh. So I thought we would get to that in a little bit. Um, I also thought maybe in the context of that, we could talk about uh, Windows S and uh, Microsoft's attack on Chromebooks and all of that. So we have a lot to get. To. Plus, yeah. we still have Linux Fest stuff. So let's uh, stop and thank DigitalOcean for a moment, digitalocean.com. You go over there, use the promo code DO Unplugged, one word, lowercase. You apply that to your account after you've created it, and then you get a $10 credit. You know, they're, uh, so you know how they introduced high memory droplets. You can get like up to 220 gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. They got block storage. You can, atta- you can attach like just a block device with a teensy bitsy tight little bit of storage or up to mm-hmm. 16 terabytes of SSD storage. Um, now they're introducing, it's in, you can request early access right now. It's not finished, but high CPU droplets, like maximum, consistently fast, lots of core big boy. CPUs. Like mm-hmm. there are some big compute jobs going down digitalocean.com. Now, if you're like me, and you just want to run a, a NextCloud instance. It's great for that too. In fact, you can get started at $5 a month and you get a machine with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, a terabyte of transfer, and all of the storage is SSDs. All of it. Runs on KVM for the virtualizer, Linux for the hypervisor, yeah, Linux for the host hypervisor. It's got 40 gigabit E connections into the data center right up to the VMs, each VM. I mean, we're talking, can you imagine that? I would love to see mm. that. They actually have some pictures on their Instagram feed and it looks super, Yeah, can super we just tight. get SSH access to yeah. one of those? Just for like a couple minutes. Just <laughs> the whole thing. Just yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's so nice. I, I love I love DigitalOcean's interface too because it makes managing all of this easy. We all know how to use it. It's straightforward and then when we're done setting everything up, we just plug it up to the API, 
and uh, just push a few buttons. Tell the bots what to do after that. Just yell at the bots. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged. Check them out. And also, when you're there and you've got a machine set up and you want to do a little more with it, take advantage of their really great documentation. They have uh, they have a tutorial on Greylog for Ubuntu 16.04. They just posted seven days nice. ago. Very, very useful. And also a tutorial on how to use the Python debugger, hosting multiple websites with Nginx and HA proxy using LXD, setting up hey, a Debian. Yeah, I know. Setting up Debian, setting up CentOS, setting up Webmin. Lots of tutorials, lots of open source projects to take advantage of your, of your droplet once you have it going for experts or total beginners. Trust me, you can make it work. Go to DigitalOcean.com, sign up, and then apply our promo code DO1PLUGGED. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. So today, Microsoft announced Windows 10S. It's not a joke. It is a simplified Windows Store-only version of Windows for schools. The S stands for Streamlined and Performance, guys. That's so jank. But this seems to be actually sort of exactly what Valve was worried about, why we got Mm -hmm. Steam Machines to begin with. Was this eventual Windows Store-only Closed down nature. Even though the you know, and I thought I thought when the Windows Store failed and that nobody bought stuff there, that they wouldn't do this. But even despite the failure, this is what's so incredible about these rich corporations that can just burn cash. Doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Like it. Oh yeah, our store's been a total failure. Just okay, keep the vision. Keeping the vision. And they say that you get better battery life when you can only run store apps, that you don't have weird stuff updating in the background. They say it's better security. It's best for schools. And they're going to pair this with some of their hardware partners. They're going to sell computers running Windows 10 S for 190 bucks. They have to. They have to do this. Right. Because if they don't do this, they are going to get overrun by Google and Chromebooks. Yeah. They're going to get overrun by Raspberry Pis and, and Debian. They're going to get overrun by all of the other – all of the other hardware and software combinations that exist out there that don't require Microsoft's, Microsoft's licensing model. And and if they open it up and let people use apps, then people would be running Windows these Windows S books with OBS and learning how to broadcast. And they would be running OpenOffice or Google Docs. So the only way they can prevent that is to force them to buy their applications through their store for their Windows book that is specifically designed for education. It's really – it's kind of a sad thing. Mm. What do you think, Wes? I mean, I, it does seem like they kind of they have to do this. I imagine you can, you know, also sell the the schools on Office three sixty five educational editions right. or, or whatever. So it is, you know, you you get them in your platform. And I do see. I mean, it's it's kind of like iOS. I do see some of the like, well, right. There may be some auditing capabilities of Windows Store apps, other things. It may be a lower maintenance burden for IT staff. That's possible. I don't know for sure. And I wouldn't. I'll tell you what. Having having used, having used Google Apps, you can drill down the management of Chromebooks like you would not believe. Right. Down to down to what 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 icons are available on the Chromebook itself. So can that person go to this given site? Can they click on this given link? Can they run this given application? You know, down to that. So is there like a potential opportunity for Linux or for yeah? I guess for like for regular Linux here in that. Will this make Windows more associated with this limited thing? With well, see, here's my worry: is it's a it's it's first of all probably not going to be a lot of open source applications in the Windows Store, right? So probably not going to be getting GIMP in the in the Windows Store, mm-hmm. right? You're probably not getting Inkscape, which would be right. great tools for schools, right? Just as an example. Um, so on the low end, you've got so much momentum around Microsoft OEMs, Active Directory, Windows management that I could see it doing some serious actual credible damage to even people that might be putting Ubuntu on library machines. Um, so I, I'm worried on the low end that it's going to eat away. And then on the high end, they're also doing something else. So it's like a two-pronged approach. On the high end, they have the $1,000 Surface laptop now, which is like their new developer machine. Out. 
They got a big fancy video, but look at the verge and Microsoft has created a real laptop this time. So this is the Surface Book laptop. And one of the things Microsoft's done with this sucker is it's cloth on the inside. So they've and they've laser cut out the keys <laughs> like they yeah, they've really got they have a uh, pixel sense, uh, super high resolution 1080p display on the thing. Uh, it's light as hell. It doesn't have any ports, which seems to be what everybody actually has a couple ports. But you you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has like one USB port and one mini dongles, USB port. Dongles. It's got. Yeah, you got to have dongles. So what are the chances I can run Linux on that weird cloth bad boy? I don't know. Honestly, probably pretty good. Yeah. I have had amazing luck running well, Linux on Microsoft. Uh, you try like it. You try systems. it. Oh, nice. You try yeah. it. I feel well, I like I don't want to give Microsoft any money, but right. I feel like it's going to be a little bit before it's working. But so they got a high end thing here. They got, you know, this is obviously going after your XPS 13s, yeah. you know, those kinds of machines, your Lenovo's, your your Galago Pros, and they're claiming 14.5 hours of battery life if you use Windows S. That'll if be you, great for all those VB developers. Yeah, right. And they have integrated a vapor chamber into the aluminum chassis to uh Give it better cooling out the rear. Standard for $999 is a Core i5 version with 4 gigabytes of RAM, 128 gigabyte SSD. And it's going to start shipping June 15th. Nice. 4 gigs of RAM, man. That's just... That's unbelievably low. Yeah. But $999. So, you know, yeah. when you get the $2,500 version, it'll be everything you need. So you got you got this two pronged approach. You've got um, you've got them going after Chromebooks and students. Oh, also, I should have mentioned this, Windows S... Windows 10 S, free for students and teachers. So, Saw that coming. Yeah. Saw that coming. Have at it, though. And I'll tell you what. Here's <clears throat> I made this prediction on Asno, and you're actually seeing the start of it come up. You are going to see Microsoft pivot to software as a service. And so they, they'll give you the student and teacher version for free. And then once you go to the pro version, they're not going to sell it to you. They'll just it'll be thirty nine dollars a year, fifty nine dollars yeah, or something yeah. like that. That's coming. It's our, we've already seen it start with the high cal uh, license seats stuff is all subscription based now. So I mean it's and that's a bad boat for everyone to be in because that's how I feel. Because here's the thing: what you're going to wind it's up with dumping on the market too. You're it's... you're going to wind up with a bunch of people that get sucked in on the free thing <clears throat> before they can actually ever do anything interesting with it. They're going to have to pay a ransom fee. Yeah. So. And Microsoft, that's how Microsoft plans to stay in business because they have to sell something and nobody's uh, buying Windows. Uh. So, Mumble Room, anyone there have any thoughts on how free Windows is going to affect student and teacher adoption of Linux? What do you think, Monkey? I don't think it's going to affect it. Um, I, I just got, I'm working with a school right now, and the conversation is how do we get away from Windows and all of their requirements? Just for doing business with them, it's it's not an. With, with, Can you elaborate? Well, with uh, with Google, it's a web interface. You log in and you basically manage everything remotely. You don't have any infrastructure requirements. Uh, a secretary at the front desk could set up a student. Where with Microsoft, it's not like that. It's it just that their 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 barrier for entry is a lot higher, especially for small private schools, and. That's something that I, you see a lot with these guys is, is Microsoft comes in and they offer a lot of free stuff, but it's not free because you still got to buy the hardware. You still got to buy the infrastructure. Um, and, and they're getting away they, – they have a bunch of Macs that were donated to them. But they're having to get away from Mac because they put Apple TVs in every office and they and they plugged them in so that the teachers could present their ta- – take their iPads and oh, really? put – presentations up and it completely destroyed their entire network because of all the apple talk and the broadcasts and it and the brought DNS everything stuff down to it needs yeah. the dns just killed everything that's hilarious 
And but see, that's how that's how these guys do it. Is they they're not delivering a complete solution. Yeah, they're delivering just one component of it, and that's why I don't think that Microsoft is going to take off as hmm. in the schools unless you have a vendor. Who's de- who's developing the whole solution and walking in there with a Microsoft solution? Right, right, okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. Uh, so I see a couple more people. So I wanted to go to Arm One. He says uh, not much uh, Linux and UK schools to begin with. Go ahead, Arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the schools in the UK are buying into the Microsoft stuff because of all the Office three six five. Oh um, yeah, so that you can link all schools together and you can easily talk between teachers. What, um, what about Chromebooks? Not much. Well, my, I've I've worked at a few schools and uh, never seen one in a school. I mean, the last school I worked at, they were starting to go all in on like, just getting dumb huh. iPod, the very basic iPods just to use as a as like just an interface for smart boards and things. They're finding that was cheaper than doing it any other ways. But you, ve- you very rarely see like classes of um, laptops uh, in UK schools mm, sometimes, okay. but the school I work for, if you know, if if I want to use laptops, we might have three sets of laptops for the entire school, and then you've got to, you've got to book them out whenever you want your class uh, yeah, to use sure, them. Sure. So um, you, that's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic from the U.S. because in the U.S., Chromebooks are like highly prevalent. Yeah, and we just have carts of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean you go into um, you know you go into some of like the PC worlds here, and there's maybe maybe four old Chromebooks tucked into a back corner. Most people don't even know what they are or how they work. <laughs> um, and uh, as far as schools go, I was having a conversation with our IT guy and saying, you know, he was saying that their head of IT was, was looking at maybe Google Classroom and stuff, but no one's really got the time to look into what it is and how it works. And then Microsoft is saying, oh, we'll take more of our free stuff. And we've made this new Microsoft team speak you know just utter crap for that replaces this thing but we're not going to turn that old service off so now you've got you've got sharepoint and you've got 365 and you've got this and you've got that and you've got and none of the teachers know what the hell they're supposed to be using <laughs> right hmm that is very good insight thank you very much i that's good to hear uh, just even for another perspective swift you kind of are on my train of thinking where i'm like well crap is this another market opportunity that linux could be about to miss out on if microsoft can come along all of a sudden and offer windows machines for 180 bucks 190 bucks all of a sudden the entire rules have changed what do you think do you think this is yet another maybe opportunity slipping between our fingers Yes, I really do. I mean, Linux has been around for a long time, and I mean, we, we, we get to the point like with, with Vista, missed opportunity. Uh, we got 8, missed opportunity. We got 10, again, missed opportunity. When are we going to have our stuff together <laughs> so that we can really compete with the other stuff that's out here? I'm tired of these people with their shiny little Macs and their pretty little, their little computers and whatever. <laughs> Just use... Linux for crying out loud and do what you got to do and stop paying all this money for this stupid crap that we just, just don't have to do. Like, when I, is I it our turn? It's it. our turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't yeah, you supposed to be giving deal. up already? Give up on this market. Damn it. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, my only my only thought on it is, you know, there is such a – there can be in some of the schools, not always, but there can be a tinkering element and that tinkering element often leads to Linux and open source. And right. It's, it, it, there's something about open source and maybe even GNU and, and the GPL in particular that 
feels very in line with sort of the core principles of continuing education or fundamental education. Like there's something about it that feels like a really organic fit. And there's something about licensing and proprietary software that to me has the feeling of walling off knowledge yeah. and holding holding knowledge, whereas open source is about learning and sharing and improving, which is what education should be about too. Mm. So right, it doesn't limit exploration, creativity. You can do whatever you want with it. So there is like to me it feels like a really fundamental fit that is almost long-term too hard to deny. But there's also practical commercial budgetary things right. that are very real in schools too. So you just – I don't know. We'll see where it goes. You know, I remember when Windows 10 was about to be released and the tech press was so stinking positive. And if you guys recall, yes. Windows 10 was given away to everybody for free initially. Mm-hmm. Well, in their defense – Windows 10 was a drastic improvement over Windows 8. Yeah. I guess. All right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if we're going we're, <laughs> to compare, I mean, it was, they had a reason to, because after Windows 8, it was like, man, geez, DOS would be an improvement, you know? So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Well, both of them, you can only have the one app open at the time, so. RH, you think we should make a video to uh, sell it, to like uh, pitch it to the people? That would be good. That'd be a good Noah. That'd be a good Noah video. Like, here's, oh, yeah? yeah? That's what AltaSpeed should get into is the education market. That'd be, oh, yeah? Maybe. Although that's pretty con- budget constrained, but I, I, I imagine hospitality is too. Yeah. Yes. Especially um, lately. So I don't know. I mean once you get in there, like uh, you can – you know, if you get a right school, you can I, – I, some of the fun, some funnest work I did in some ways was at schools just because there isn't the, the – Quite, quite the like we have – this site has to go live on Monday morning so we can start taking orders kind of pressure. Yeah, right, That's right. not there. Right. But it's still like we need to do a good job. But it's not going to be in the end of anyone's careers if this goes south either. Right. And that's a nice environment even if it's budget constrained because you still get a little creative. Linux is a good fix for a lot of that stuff. But there is still scale that you get to play with. And right. there's you know really busy hours and there's privacy that you have to take mm-hmm. into consideration. So it's still, it's, it's still a very challenging and interesting environment to work in. Um, so yeah, I'd be. And at the end of the day, you're helping kids. Like that's that's great. Yeah. So as long as you just give me a little off the top for that recommendation, I think you should totally get into Ooh, it. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> for the idea. Yeah. Give me a yeah. Con- yeah. Exactly. Consistent. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Send all support to ChrisJupiterBroadcasting.com. Does that work like that? Does it work? Oh, okay. a three year SLA. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Three years. Have you ever emailed that man? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. the hope you know what? It. That is not it is I have actually gotten to emails like they're three years old. And I've been like, hey, thanks for emailing. I'm sorry I just got to this. It came up on a search. And yeah, I've done that before. Boy, when I, once I went once I left for Texas, the inbox just kind of went. Yeah. Well, you didn't have many before that, so I can understand how that yeah. <laughs> drastically changed yeah. your yeah. outlook. <clears throat> you know what I gotta do is I gotta get a really good email program on my phone. Have you seen some of these? Like there's Google Inbox. That's mm-hmm. not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use Inbox. Yeah, you do? You do? I do? Yeah. I'm a really big fan. I just started using a new one. It's called um, – Because you were um, – before you were using one that I K- like. Canine. Canine, yeah. Yeah, now I'm on a, a program called Bluemail. Oh, yeah, I've heard I, of Bluemail. By far, my favorite thing about it is I can swipe left and mark it as later or done. And uh, that allows me to uh, to archive that message and then come back I to like it that. as a task. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I like Bluemail, yeah. Yeah, the task angle is is a nice map. Yeah, when I'm using a lot of an inbox, I'm feel because I feel like I'm already using Gmail, so it's not like I'm right. It's just a layer on top. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the uh, remind me about this at this day at this time mm-hmm. feature because it's like okay, I I have certain days that I deal with this kind of work, and so I'm going to mm-hmm. set it for a reminder on that day. An inbox you can use with other mail service providers because I'm on fast. No, mail, no, 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 no. That's why I really like about Blue Mail. Okay, yeah, gotcha. if you use it with fast mail, you don't have to have all the privacy stealing compromises of Gmail. Right, <clears throat> right. Yeah. You know, speaking of mobile phones, Ting. That's what you do. You go there, 
Get a deal. Go to linux.ting.com. Get $25 off one of these phones. You want to get a new mail app on your phone, first you got to start with a phone. That's math, guys. That's, that is phone math. Linux.ting.com is where you go if you have a compatible phone, and you just might. they got CDMA and GSM. Then you'll get $25 in service credits. You bring it over to their BYOD page. You look at all the dirty details, and they'll tell you if it's going to work on Ting. Or, or take a shortcut. Call up Ting and talk to a real human being and just ask them. They'd be more than happy to work with you. The fact that they have CDMA or GSM is big for me too. If you go on road trips like I do or you travel every now and then, huge. Or heck, you're just going to move and you don't know what the cell service is going right, to be like. Right, Go with Ting. Yeah, or, you know, just have fun and experiment. Like if you get like a Nexus device, I've in the past just let's let's go to an area and I'll, I'll activate this one. And then I'll put it in, and then I have the other one active, and I just switch between them. And, you know, it's a little bit of hassle, but not bad. And on the newer devices, it's even easier. And just do a speed test. I, I offered to give Olympia Tim's thing. Oh, really? Yeah. For when he's out here? Yeah, he has global roaming, so he doesn't need it. But, oh, uh, but nice. I was like, hey, hey, you're coming to the U.S. Do you need a SIM card? Because I can hook you up, bro. I could hook you up. That's awesome, dude. And they have a really great control panel, too, that lets you manage all aspects of your account, set limits, alerts, turn things off. Um, so, like, right now, not driving to Texas, don't need my Ting MiFi on. It's great. You know, and the other thing is, even if I left it on, it's $6 a month for the line. That's it. Those are the kind of things that are other providers that feel like you're, like, breaking a rule or doing something shady. But I think they're like, no, that this is your plan, your minutes. Like, just use them when you want. Or, you know, feeling bad for having, like, a $30 a month device. And, and you're, you're just not using yeah, it. Yeah. And if for Ting, it's 6 bucks, And then it's just when you use it, you pay for the usage. Just minutes, message, and megabytes. And whatever you use, that's what you pay. And $6 for the line. It's so simple, so straightforward. Bring a device, buy one from Ting. They don't care. Just try them out. They also have a calculator here you can see how much you would save and a blog that's full of good tips even if you're not yet a ting customer just go to linux.ting.com linux.ting.com and a big thank you to ting for sponsoring the unplugged program big event coming up and uh, this is almost the perfect representation of how this event works this no do you agree if you disagree i'm sure you'll speak up um me really linux fest northwest has the possibility of becoming the largest community organized event yes. in the United States. Yes. And uh, I love these guys, but they really got some problems still. Right now their website's <laughs> down. Uh, they got a Drupal issue. It looks like their MySQL server is down. Um, they have issues on the website. They say – still on the website say it's going to be announcing their schedule in the coming weeks. Now, I'm not saying any of this to criticize. I am pointing out that this is truly a lug run event. It is right. like an event of the people, and mm-hmm. there are certain things they're stronger at, right. like putting on a hell of a good event, right. and there are certain things they're not so strong at, like... Planning a hell of an event? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, but see, in uh, some ways, that's what I love about it, dude. It's we, not polished. It's not... I mean, but it, but it works, right? We know it's going to happen. We're going to be there, and it's going to yeah. be awesome. Being in contact, you know, from the broadcasting side, we get a lot of behind-the-scenes things that you know we don't necessarily share with a lot of other people and and basically uh, suffice to say that a lot of things in the linux landscape are changing a little bit and there is a opportunity here for linux fest to become the linux fest to go to so if we could get some of these issues worked out that'd be really great because and even if they don't work them out to be honest with you just show up that's my answer people ask me they're like i couldn't register because the just show up Oh yeah, just yeah. show up if you if if you have trouble, just show up. And if you yeah. if anyone gives you tr- if anyone gives You're you not, trouble, you will not be turned away. You just, know the just, site's back up now, so maybe oh, this, good. You know, but I've heard maybe, maybe they're getting a lot of traffic. 
Maybe uh, that's it. Maybe they're getting, you know, and they just have it on some, like, you know, little server, and now it's mm-hmm. getting a bunch of traffic yeah. off us. I wouldn't put it past these guys to be running this on about Raspberry Pi. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is the kind of thing they would do. Totally. The Slackware Server X486 there crashed. We better restart that. There was a time. There would, uh, so, <laughs> now, uh, it's May 6th and 7th. We're going to be streaming it live at jblive.tv if you want to check it out. And uh, it'll also be where we record the last Linux action show. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. Wow, that's crazy. That's Wow, end of an era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then almost immediately we launch into whole new projects. User error mm-hmm. comes back, uh, the <gasps> Linux Action News show. <gasps> it's going to be big. Joe and I are getting really ready. We're going through final things now on the show. Preparing. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, is really, it is really fun. It's been a long time since I've done something like this. Uh, and I think it's going to be a big, big hit, I hope. I hope people like it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll all hate it. I don't know. Well, and you'll that, get some about that's just a guarantee. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll just switch to vlogging full time. Yeah, there you yeah. go. There you go. There you go. Uh, anyway, so when you have time to edit, as yeah, as <laughs> as is always as is always the case when the Linux Fest is near, um, we like to punish ourselves. We mm-hmm. like to punish our bodies. Mm-hmm. We like to punish our mental spirit. And uh, our stomachs. We like to punish. Yes, we definitely punish our stomachs, and we punish equipment too. Uh, by the way, Wes, sorry you may have bad lighting for text now. <laughs> Um, yeah, we have. Is that why you look so good on Sunday? Yeah, we did. We actually did not have the right lighting on Sunday either. Uh, so since last Friday, well, yeah, yeah. since last Friday, God, has it only been a week? We've been basically feels so much longer than a week. So not yeah, uh, not even no, but it's been the Friday before last, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, so that for, feels better. Yeah, the Friday okay, before last. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lot of work. We started. We ripped out everything in the studio. Pulled out every single wire. Every everything. Was we were out. down to the four walls and the ceiling. For a while. Yeah. Boy. And then we've been um, – <clears throat> and that was the last time a Mac was in here. Yeah. And those, awesome. I, just so everyone knows, those were the first two things I took out. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, <laughs> I unplugged it, carried it out, and I was like, okay, now we can go with the rest just of the Just set it in the backyard, yeah. let it graze. <laughs> oh, I, Damn, I, was no. actually, I was actually nice to it. Stay on target. Stay on target. No. Uh, then we, uh, we rebuilt – with a uh, with a, around around uh, a couple of core ideas, um, we rebuilt with the idea of supporting the production of the new shows and now the existing shows we have. So this studio was built for a different set of requirements, and now we essentially rebuilt the studio for the new set of requirements. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing we built it around was all Linux. Mm-hmm. So everything's Linux, um, even down to our mixer, which is Linux. We we put everything everything around that, and then of course the th- really the third thing because the mixer is so huge, uh, which is not a final mixer, but um, it's all kind of built around that. So we've 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 made a lot of changes. We've made I can't I can't show it on camera, but we've made additional room for guests, so we'll be able to have guests in studio, mic'd mm-hmm. up, be able to hear everybody. It's way more like clean and efficient. Yeah, in here. it's lots like more room to move studio. around. You know, you yeah. know, my favorite part of the whole studio renovation is hmm. after ten years, Chris finally found where he wanted his microphone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, he's not kidding. So for the first time in ten years, really eleven years of bro- actually twelve years, because I, I before Jupiter Broadcasting, I had a couple of things. Uh, I could never, ever – every time you buy a microphone stand on a boom stand, it mm-hmm. comes with a desk clamp and something that you can drill into your desk. Mm-hmm. And I've never been able to commit to it because, you know, in video production, like I, some, I'm moving stuff around all the yeah. time and you're almost for every shoot, like I have, a, I have a laptop this time, this next time I'm doing a capture, the next time it's two people. And so you just can't be static and you can't just lock things down. And so, but did we or did we not just nail the it. position of we that? We finally, moment. after ten years, I found the perfect spot. <laughs> Noah got it drilled or drilled Beautiful. it in by hand, actually, <laughs> <laughs> with his brown bear muscles, <laughs> and uh, and then we finally actually mounted a a microphone to the table. It's fixed in it's place. Beautiful. It can move around. It's great. It's on a it's on a gesticulating arm. <laughs> 
just I enjoy. I know, and I just hit my head. Um, so we, it's an almost perfect position. We're, we've got a touch screen over here for something I'm about to talk about. Uh, the, all of this is it's really built around now making higher quality productions, better better than ever, Wes, is, at least I hope. But to my, uh, to my left here, we're running something called Caster Soundboard. It was a project that was created for, a Ju- for Jupiter Broadcasting by a Coda Radio listener. Caster Soundboard is sort of a recreation of proprietary software that's available for macOS to do a production soundboard. You know, where like we fire off sounds like that. Yes. <clears throat> this is written in C++ okay. and Cute 5. It's uh, GPL. It's up on GitHub. You can go to github.com slash Broadcasting to see it. And it's really close to being perfect. It just needs a few tweaks. And we have open issues for what needs to be fixed. And we're hoping... We're hoping maybe folks in the community would be willing to to work hey, with us. Look at that! Well, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know if it shows up on the webcam here. So for the, those of you watching the video over here, we have a this is a 1080p, 21 inch Dell touchscreen monitor, and I can I can try. You want me to try it? We have one clip in there. This is this is from the open source soundboard running on Linux using a touchscreen, and it's got a little button right there. But oh, let's see. Did you not hook up the USB port? Never mind. Noah is, Noah is fast hooking up the USB <laughs> cord. I was I jumped ahead. But anyways, doesn't that look great, Wes? Like from what you know, you've seen my past soundboard yes, setup. This is this is it right here. This is a this is a dedicated soundboard setup. It's got multiple tabs. It's all written in cute. It's essentially touchable. It's not perfect, but it's touchable. Uh, oh, it's muted. There we go. This is from this is it right here. And one of the things that's really nice is every button is triggerable by a keyboard. But what I'd also like is I'd like each tile to be pressable and playable. I'd like it to be yeah, a, and be able to. Yeah, that seems really nice. And if the volume slider was a little bit bigger, I'd be able to slide volume and stuff like that. But so it's really, so it's really close. close. We don't have the ability currently to save or export soundboard. So if the application closes, you lose the entire soundboard. So there's details in there. Yeah, that need, here's, but the here's, principle. Here's how, here's, how, here's how he prompts work out of me. This is how he gets free labor. He just He's like, is soundboard up yet? I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to close. But he's like, <laughs> he's like well, you can get a dongle and a, and, uh, and a MacBook. Go get the MacBook in MacBook here. We'll MacBook with a dongle. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Noah. You don't want a Mac in here, do you? Ah, fine, fine, fine. So we find a developer. We're like, yeah. But if there's anyone out there that wants to work on this, do we, we have links in the Coder Radio show notes? They'll yeah, and I'll, I'll well. put them in here too. Yeah, and it's, you can also just find it. We have it pinned at the top of github.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Oh, cool. Sweet. So, yeah. It'd be really – because oh, here's the thing, Noah. Tell me the thing. Is uh, there's a few open source projects that we've now been involved with like Showbot and um, – a couple other things like pod publish and whatnot that I think we mm. can help out and we mm-hmm. can, you know, and people have like, there's like many podcasts now that use the, some of the stuff we've written That's for JBot. Awesome. Sure. And uh, they have their own title sug- suggestion systems and all that kind of stuff. And it's helped podcasters. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another one because it, there's nothing that says it has to run on Linux. I mean, that's what we're using it for. But other, but if it's just an open source soundboard, I think mm-hmm. that'd be useful for people in general, not just Linux users. Yeah. It could be a but very uh, big problem. You know, actually, I would not mind if... Nobody ever bothered to fork it outside of Linux, and we just and that became one of the things that people <laughs> yeah. can be like, "You want the world's best podcasting soundboard? You're gonna run you Linux. Gotta use Linux. That's yeah, right. maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could get there. Uh, and not the thing just to be an, grandstand on, but could just be an AUR or flat pack away, or maybe a snap package one Ooh. day. Either either way, uh, if you if you'd like to help us, boy, would we appreciate it because it would basically improve all of the Jupiter Broadcasting shows, and it's really the last thing that the Mac's better at in here. Mm-hmm. Like I can objectively say, in my opinion, everything else in here that we've replaced with Linux, Linux is, is amazing. Is better. The only thing the Mac can do 
is play random clips. Isn't that stupid? But I mean, in terms of what you <laughs> when actually you say it out loud, yeah, I kind of. Yeah. But if you actually had you ever done it as a living and mm-hmm. used a, use a soundboard before, mm-hmm. you understand it is a very piece, important piece of equipment because it's not just about playing stupid noises; it's also how the music's done in the shows, yeah, right. and, intros, outros. Yeah, like it's it's actually mm-hmm. a pretty critical piece of equipment. So you want it to to work right and right. objectively. It's the only piece of software slash equipment that we've replaced that is a, a very much a downgrade. Mm-hmm. Everything else has been an upgrade in terms of performance reliability, functionality, all of it. And then obviously the fact that it's free and open source. This would be the one thing that is not quite there, but it's so – I'd say it's like 60% of the way. I think it's like 60% of the way. And what's amazing is it was put together by – do you remember the community member guy? That he was – Zerok? Was it Zerok? No, no. No. He's the guy that may be working up, but it started with a C. Yeah. I, I, shoot, I wish I had – but anyways, he was so super cool, worked with me before. And we kind of had a couple people work on it. We also That's had a web-based awesome. one that was worked on. And this, the, we really like this one because we have the touchscreen here. Yeah. And you can, you can just see looking at that how useful that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Up, up. Caster soundboard. And when we get it done, it could be something that takes off. It wouldn't just be for podcasting either. Mm-hmm. Could just be fun to have a soundboard. Um, what, what you want to go, we, we should probably get going in a little bit, but I wanted to talk a little about laptops and battery life. Yeah. So why don't we start with a question that came into the subreddit by uh, Pasuduv? I think is he had a question about the uh, setup on the MacBook. Uh, running Linux, Arch Linux on the 2013 MacBook, and I said, you know, essentially, systemd boot was what was used to uh, do the boot management. I used the built-in UFI manager that Mac has when you hold down the option key to get to that point. Um, and the Linux-MacBook package from the AUR were some of the bigger, like, important components. And so he followed up with a couple of specific questions, and I thought maybe I'd toss oh. them to you. He said, is, is, does he know, do we see a, of a way to switch between the integrated Intel GPU and the dedicated NVIDIA? Because I think the way we did my config was just dedicated NVIDIA all the time, I right? think that's right. Yeah. So that was one thing he wanted something on, so I don't know if we have that. I don't know. That, that's worth looking into, though. And then um, he also, and this is one I will toss out to the audience, if you had, if you, what would you guys do for snapshots? Uh, would you go with LVM? Would you do ZFS? Would you do ButterFS? Clonezilla? If you wanted to do snapshots of your system. My personal take would be Clonezilla, but did you have any? I would do Clonezilla. Yeah. yeah I mean, I guess it depends on how how frequently, what kind of downtime are you willing to support? What What is your use case and how comfortable are you experimenting if you're okay with lvm i think lvm snapshots have gotten a lot better in recent years uh if you're okay if you're already experienced with zfs then just do that because you'll have a great time with it if you know how to use it and administer it if not then definitely don't do that and yeah maybe clonezilla or something where sure you it's not as frequent it's not like just instant but you know it's reliable understandable thing i I like about the thing i like about clonezilla is i can store it totally off the machine well you just have zfs send or receive i mean yeah oh yeah you could do that yeah I would say this, though. Uh, I, I, I was also of the mindset that I better have snapshots for this MacBook because I know it's going to break on me, just like Pseudodev was, was thinking of. And it really has been fine. I've done many kernel updates. I've, I think I even, I even did an, uh, like a complete OS upgrade to Final Cut OS, Sierra. Um, nice. And wow. I think it's, nothing was affected. Like I just hold down the option key and choose Linux and it's just Final fine. Cut OS. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So I, I, I found it to be pretty reliable. I was surprised how reliable it was on there. So you might just give it a go. But uh, I did notice one thing that's definite. It's obvious that the battery life under Final Cut OS mm-hmm. when not editing is superior to just Linux. You know, just say you're browsing the web. And Final Cut OS is going to switch between the Intel and NVIDIA graphics, whereas Linux is always on the NVIDIA graphics. Right. But the battery life difference is like – Seven and a half hours to an hour and a half to two hours. Like it's a Yikes. huge yeah, battery. That difference. is a big difference. And I, I don't know what is going on with Linux battery life right now because across all my laptops, it's not really where it should be. 
It's not that bad. That's the worst. But across all of them, mm. it seems like it's. Have you noticed this? Have you have you struggled with this? I know you were saying a coworker struggled with this recently. Yeah, you know, I did. I did know someone uh, in my life who, you know, he he's done Linux stuff for a long a long time. He uses it at work. You know, uh, very good on the command line. Hadn't always like hadn't dabbled that much in the desktop side of Linux, and so he you know got himself a new laptop. I'm not sure which one. Uh, installed the latest Ubuntu on it. And just had a hell of a time, you know, getting anything like decent battery. I don't think he did any configuration, but just running out of the gate, you know, he installed it, kind of got it up and running. Boom, battery's dead, which is not a great first run mm-hmm. experience. And he'd already, you know, when he came with Windows and when he was running at that, it was, you know, eight eight hours of battery life. Oh. Easy. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of like, we, I was talking with people who were, I was like, okay, well, we start giving him some tips about what to do. But it's like, okay, well. Is there ever are we ever going to get to a point where you know even mainstream distros have some of these changes out of the gate or optionally for? I've laptops? seen a couple distros like Ubuntu Mate Edition does some decent battery loving tweaks out of the box mm-hmm. that some other distros don't do. Uh, so I know that's one of them. But yeah, it, it, so there is some distro differential, as you might say. <laughs> yeah, right. Distro the dif, the distro differential indeed, uh, but it's still I think across the board since I really would say since k- kernel four it's just been shit. I think so it's, it's just, gone down. I think it's, yeah, I think it's been bad since version 4 of the Linux kernel. I don't really think it's ever come back up. And I don't hmm. really care. So it's not like I talk about it very often because to mm-hmm. me, I just need my battery to last long enough between where I have plugs. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm in a totally different boat. For me, I need my battery to last only from the time I leave my house to the time I get back because I won't have plugs. Usually, you know, I'm but you have you get much. great battery life. Yeah, I get about 16 hours. Well, but then again, I have, there's three batteries in that ThinkPad, you know, effectively. So... Not the best test. Yeah, Yeah. I see what you mean there. Yeah. So so does anybody in the virtual log there have anything that they do to save battery life, like maybe TLP or PowerTop? Because I know those are things you can do with PowerTop, for example. You can at least get a sense of what's draining your battery, which is a very useful tool. But that's maybe old school. Is there new things people are using to figure out what's sucking down battery life? I'd love to know any new tips because from where I'm at, I feel like I have a limited set of tools to really track it down. Earlier, I'll add it to the show notes, Architect in the IRC room posted a, a good link uh, that kind of had a rundown. These days, it seems like TLP is the most popular, or at least what people are talking about the most and seems to be the most up-to-date or most modern. Um, and, and you know, is one of the ones, laptop mode tools being the other one where, you know, you can kind of just install it and generally forget about it. I think TLP has less config that you might want to do or able to do. Um, so if, if that might just work for you. And then, of course, yeah, there's PowerTop, which can be very useful, especially if you're just trying to understand things. You're writing your own UDEV rules or you're just like, oh, yeah, it's it's this thing all the time. I'm just going to disable that hardware or not use that program. And uh, Sandy Bridge and was that the was that the Intel release that you hated? No, I hated uh, uh, Skylake. Sandy Bridge and Skylake, if I recall, both had issues like with their P-State driver, where, which, which screws with like the CPU scaling mm-hmm. and just burns battery life like crazy mm-hmm. too. So that hasn't helped either. And that was an Intel problem. That's not really – I mean it's a Linux kernel problem because it's in the kernel. Right. But it's Intel code. Um, and I feel like we're just kind of getting that solved in like 4.12, I think. Yeah. Didn't we just have a new release come out like today or yesterday too of Linux kernel? I think 4.11 just came yeah. out. Yeah. And that's not in there, I don't think, but I'm not sure. Did you You did a little rundown of it. Did you see that in there when you were doing I didn't. Uh, yeah. No, that's a good question. Yeah, I didn't see it in there when I went I went through your notes. <laughs> Wes, Wes did a nice little breakdown of what was in there and we never even put it in the show, but uh, it happened during our show prep period and I saw it in there. I was like, oh, okay, that might be something worth talking about, but that's still not, I still doesn't fix it on, uh, yeah, yeah. You you mostly called out LZ four uh, improvements to software raid and yeah. uh, SIP hash, which sounds interesting. Yeah, it's just a new uh, hash algorithm that people are, but not, relatively but, popular. But not a P state driver fix. 
Not a not apparently a not. We'll have to go review the Colonel newbies yeah. and see what that says. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's something buried in the details there. But I know that's been that's also been part of what's causing this. I know I know from reading some like of uh, Matthew Garrett's older posts. Remember him talking about you know these days more and more things are being combined onto like one chipset or linked together, whereas it's separately they used to be you know more separate components. And so now you have to get the power states right on all the components for the group of them to power down sufficiently. So that's not helping us very much. No, that's that sounds complicated. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I guess I would say this. If you have a great tool for sort of tracking this problem down or you, if you've solved it on a, on a more recent Ubuntu or, or, or distro, because one of the other problems I have is when I, when I looked, I did see some stuff, but mostly what I saw was like really old guides. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is this from 2009? I don't think that's a good idea. So I, I would kind of like to see something, maybe submit a few articles to the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, or uh, you can send them in directly to the show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and put it in that way. Well, maybe I know power tops. I mean, so those mm-hmm. ones, the basics we know, but some other cool ways to track it down. Like one thing I was thinking about, this is really stupid, but like if it's <laughs> just something you wanted to stay on top of all the time and just sort of whittle it down is – what would happen if you just put a temperature sensor extension on GNOME and just looked at the devices that are running hot all the time and track it down that way? Like if your CPU seems like it's running hot or your sure. GPU is something hitting that sure. more than it should, yeah. that could at least give you an indication that something's working hard mm-hmm. because the power obviously would translate to heat somewhere. Yeah. Yep. So it might be a way to start. Mr. Uh, Mr. Noah, before we go, why don't you tell the people at home where they can find you at, and maybe what other shows? Yeah, at Kernel Linux, at least for one more week, the Linux Action Show on Sundays and the <laughs> Ask Noah Show at 6 p.m. Central at jblive.tv. And if you're in Grand Forks and KEQQ 88.3 LPFM. And uh, give that number around, 855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to make that number the thing that people say, well, I'm getting started with Linux. Okay, well, here, here, at 6 o'clock on Monday, yeah. give these guys a call. You know, they, yeah, you know what we should do is for swag, wouldn't it be awesome if we had like business cards that were like, have yeah. a, have a, have, you know, need Linux help? Call, yeah. call 1-855. Oh, yeah, that's Why didn't we think idea. of that earlier? Yeah, we, we still could. It's new. It's really? early. so? Well, not oh, I mean for Linux Fest. Mm. Oh, yeah, that would be good to give out at Linux Fest that people yeah. can hand out. I might, I might, might, I might see what I can do. I'm about not going to get something printed because it's just basically be like a little card that says yeah. "Need Linux support? Call what is it? Eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. And it's live on Mondays if you want to tune in and call in live 4 or just PM watch. Pacific. Yeah, seven p.m. Eastern, six p.m. Central. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. <laughs> Keep going just, around the world, no, around just, the world. The thing is, like, I started by just doing Pacific time, and then the radio station were like, "Why are you always giving in Pacific time? We're in Central time." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, four p.m. Pacific and six p.m. Central." Then people wrote in and they're like, "Why don't you give it?" Eastern time. Really, everyone measures in Eastern and Pacific time, and I'm like, 7 p.m. Eastern. So I just, like, rotate between the three. <laughs> and then, Mr. Wes, uh, there's places people can find you outside this show as well. Yes, that's right. I'm at Wes Payne on Twitter, and if you just stay tuned, you'll catch me on the TechSnap program, which is coming up next. Very well, very good, and I'm excited about that, and there is some big news this week for the TechSnap program. I am at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. The vlog is youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. Tune in live this weekend at jblive.tv for our Linux Fest Northwest coverage. Wow. It's finally here. It's that time of year again, and uh, you can also keep up to date on that coverage at Jupiter Signal on the tweeters. Even if you don't use the tweeter, you can still read the feeds. I know. It's crazy. Thanks for being here. If you want to join our virtual lug next week, you'll have to show up live. Go to jblive.tv for that, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And if you want to give us your feedback, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, at least for a little bit longer. What? I'll leave you with that. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. See you later, everybody! 
jbtitles.com. Well, everybody go to jbtitles.com. Let's pick that title. Good show, Wes. Good job. Good job podcasting. Now, what do you think? Did you see any titles go by that you like? I actually haven't looked yet. Yeah, I haven't either. Mm. I'm excited about uh, Linux Fest. I think it's going to be a oh good my gosh, time, Wes. I know. It's going to be a good it's time. It's going to be great. Uh, Windows 10 Sucker Edition. That's kind of funny. And Gabian was right. That I like that Ooh. too. Uh, Windows 10 Titanic Edition. Windows is the S. <laughs> we also have Kill Dash 9, Grub 2. Oh, man, I got the burps right now. Burp. The burps. Rub-a-dub grub. That is Ooh, funny. I like that one. That's good, too. System T, that's funny. I, where's rub-a-dub grub? I got to give that another yeah, boat. That's going it, up. That's going up fast. <laughs> that's going up really fast. People like that. Battery Life Myths, Linux Shenanigans, A Hoppy Lup. Yeah, it was. That's true. Mm-hmm. Max Unplugged. I get it, the Max Unplugged. That's, That's pretty good. Oh, is that what your solution is? It's all right. It's good. It's good. It's good. No, it's fine. It's fine. Rub-a-dub grub's going up there. Let's go with it. I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. Um, oh, wait. You know what was funny is we got the Skycam in here, and uh, that was done like at the last minute. We did that during the show. It was perfect. Oh, yeah. That was good. That's good. I like the Skycam. All right, chat room. Thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening at home. And uh, oh, oh, good. Hashtag Blame Noah is going up on the list. Okay, now we can officially we can officially end the show.